Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. What is the blessing of Abraham? What does it mean to be blessed with believing Abraham? What does it mean to even be blessed or favored? A lot of people say, I'm blessed and highly favored. What in the world does that even mean? I'm convinced that most Christians do not understand what it means to be blessed. They don't understand their spiritual heritage. They don't understand their spiritual history. They don't, a lot of people know basic things in Christianity. Like, I'm, I was dead in sin. I'm alive in Christ, I'm making heaven. Which those are three awesome things that you need to know. Those are three things that should be ingrained in you as the platform and the foundation for everything else. However, there's a lot more in the word of God. It doesn't just cover your passport to get into heaven. The Bible covers uh, a lot more than just that. And if it's how much you see from the word of God, that's going to determine how far you go in life. It's how much you see from God's word that's going to determine how far you go in life. So you can make the choice either to just have the basics, you know, the book of Hebrews. Let me read this to you. Hebrews in chapter five, this is what the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews chapter five and beginning with Verse 12, he said, for though by this time he's rebuking them because they haven't moved on in their knowledge of God and the word of God. So he says, by this time, it's been years that you're saved. It's been years that you're redeemed. It's been years that you've been calling yourself the seed of Abraham, but you still need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of the milk of the word is unskilled in the word of of God in the word of righteousness and he's only a baby it'd be weird if my son at 14 years old is still feeding on breast milk very very weird at one years old even two years old it's it's perfectly normal but after a while you've got to move on to solid food the same thing applies in the word in in, in Christianity in your spirituality it's you you shouldn't be at the same level of understanding you had in that first sermon you received when you first got saved there should be a progression towards solid food towards the meat of the word you know if you study the word the word of God is oftentimes symbolized as the wine of the word the honey of the word the water of the word the milk of the word but then it talks about the strong meat of the word and I believe it's high time as we see the day of the Lord approaching that we leave the elementary principles that we leave the baby stuff there's too many churches that are set up as nurseries where Christians just come in to get bottle fed by pastors so they can endure another week my brother and sister God did not call you to endure life God did not call you to struggle your way on barely getting along street your entire life always sweating always struggling always suffering God has a plan to bless you to prosper you to move you forward to increase you to multiply you and to set you as an object of envy in your generation where you are a flashing billboard of the goodness of the Lord where people say that guy is not like everybody else that woman doesn't operate on the same frequency as everybody else that's the story that's the high place you know the Bible talks about uh, many times in the book of Psalm in the book of Isaiah 
in, in some of the minor prophets. It says that God wants you to ride on the high places of the earth. There's too many Christians that are dwelling far below when the Bible says you're born from above and you're to dwell far above. The Bible says that we were raised up with Christ Jesus. We've been made to sit in him, in Christ Jesus, in heavenly places. Where is Jesus sitting? Jesus isn't sitting far below principalities and powers. Jesus is sitting far above all principalities, all powers, all struggle, all attack, all opposition, and you are seated in him in heavenly places. So I want, what frustrates me the most is seeing a Christian who has everything I'm talking about right now, they have it, it's theirs, but they still talk as though none of it was true. They still confess words as though they were still distanced from God, cut off from God's promises, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. But when the Bible clearly says in Ephesians 2, you who were far off, you who were cut off from God's promises, you who were far off, you were far away from God, you were distant from God, you, God has brought you near by the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible says, we are now a royal priesthood. We are a chosen generation. We are God's special inheritance called forth to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness. So I'm not in darkness anymore. I'm called out of darkness into his glorious light. Then get this, verse 10 says this, because that's all people know is 1 Peter 2.9, we're a royal priesthood. But listen to verse 10. It says, you who once were not the people of God are now the people of God. You who once had not obtained mercy, had not received blessing, have now obtained mercy, and have now received blessing. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, you were strangers, you were foreigners, to the, to the promises of God. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. So I want this broadcast today as you sit and listen to what Abraham, how his life was, the mindset Abraham had. I, I mean, you, you have to understand as being one who's connected to Christ. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, if we are Christ, we are Abraham's seed, and we are heirs according to the promise. So if you belong to Christ, you are the seed of Abraham. And so if we are the seed of Abraham, we have to take on the, the, the mentality of Abraham. If we want to get what Abraham had, we have to follow the steps of Abraham. John 8, 39. Jesus said, if you were truly the children of Abraham, you would do the very works that Abraham did. You would think like he thought. You would act like he acted. So this broadcast, I want it to in, I want it to. Uh, infusing you the mindset that Abraham had that Abraham carried a, 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 a victory mindset that he knew everywhere I go I'm going to dominate everywhere I go I'm anointed to take over Abraham was never backed up into a corner somewhere not knowing how to get out how are we going to get this done Lot just got captive um, captured by a foreign army that kid's gone we might as well move on no 
He was a he had a warrior spirit. He knew what God had promised him and he grew strong in faith because he was fully persuaded everything God promised. He wasn't promising with empty promises. Everything God promised, he knew that he can obtain and he would by all means obtain. So let me read this. Isaiah 51, the blessing of Abraham. What does the Bible say about the blessing of Abraham? Isaiah 51. Actually, I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation because I love the way it says it in the New Living Translation. Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. Listen to me, all you who hope for deliverance. I got a lot of people. I need deliverance. I need deliverance. I need help. I, I, I need demons cast out of me. I need whatever. I get a lot of people that message me saying those things. They need... They need, they're struggling in their, in their spiritual, spirituality. My kid has this like, that's hilarious. My kid has this like fake porta potty that's in my office for some reason. He must have brought it here. And I don't know what happened, but the flush just keeps going on and off. And so if you heard that flush or if you hear any other flushes throughout this broadcast, please uh, bear with me. I, I don't know why I still have it here. But anyways, he brought it here and he must have wanted to take a potty. While daddy was doing a broadcast once and he hasn't left since. He, has, he hasn't taken it back with him. Anyways, listen to me all who hope for deliverance and all who seek the Lord. So he's saying, you need deliverance? Listen to me. Isaiah's saying, this is how you're going to get it. This is the key out. This is the way out. All who seek the Lord, all who are seeking his intervention. Listen to this. Isaiah 51 verse 1. Consider the rock from which you were cut, the quarry from which you were mined. Yes, think about Abraham, your ancestor, and Sarah who gave birth to your nation. Understand this, Abraham was only one man when I called him, but when I blessed him, he became a great nation. Consider Abraham, you need deliverance? Consider your spiritual heritage. Consider where you were cut from, the cloth that you were cut from. That you're not like everybody else and your life should not look like everybody's, everybody else's life. Abraham's heritage was a heritage uh, of, of domination in his day and that heritage now belongs to you. Abraham's heritage is your heritage because of your joining together with Jesus Christ. So that means the DNA to dominate, not to be dominated. I, we have to move from that point of, I need deliverance. I need help. I need breakthrough to understanding what our spiritual heritage is and how Abraham carried himself where he said, not I need deliverance. I am the deliverer, not I'm being dominated. I dominate where I go, not I need help. I bring help. Abraham was a helper. Abraham, everywhere he went, he helped people. He interceded on people's behalf. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, uh, barely getting along. He wasn't trying to make it through his week. He was getting other people through their week. Lot gets kidnapped. Uh, by a foreign wicked nation. He, tr he has 318 people under him that he gets up and they, they end up invading the territory that had taken, or the, the, the nation that had taken Lot captive and within a day, five, five kings tried to do what he did and one man 
One man was able to secure Lot over five nations that tried to do what he did. Why? Because the blessing of the Lord was on him. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. So the blessing, understand this. The blessing isn't some superficial thing. The blessing isn't some mystical thing. The more mystical you make the Bible, the more mystical and ethereal that you make the blessing of God, the more confused your life is going to be. Spirit, true spirituality, understand this, true spirituality is very practical. True spirituality is very applicable. True, okay, hold on. This thing's going to keep on going off. So this is the problem. We're gonna just, let me just throw this out. There you go. Problem dealt with. I, I, I'm going to flush that thing down the toilet. I'm going to flush a toilet down a toilet. True spirituality, true spirituality, true spirituality is not this weird, ethereal, I, how many of you know, like, I feel good vibes in this place. You know what? A lot of what the Christians call spirituality is actually just new age, false spiritualism, entering in, creeping into the church. And you look at the people that, that make the blessing of God very mystical and very intangible, and their lives, I can guarantee you, their lives are never solid, never stable. You look at the, you know, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but a lot of, you know, you, you have, <laughs> I want to pick my words, but, you know, these people that they make it a point that they need to have a flag in every worship service and wave the flag and, 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 and just dance around the flag right in the middle of everybody worshiping. They, it's almost like they need to be the center of attention. They, you talk to most of them, I'd say 99% of them are not stable. Why is it that the people that are the weirdest, that, that, that make spirituality the, the weirdest, the most complex thing, totally non-practical, are always, you know, their family is struggling, their family wants nothing to do with them, they can't keep a job, everything is collapsing in their life. Why is it? Why does it look like that? Bec and then they call, they look like they're the most Christian people out there. They look like they're the most spiritual people. They look like they're the most, you know, they make it sound like they're the most uh, in the Bible, in prayer types of people. Let me tell you, the more you get in the Bible and the more you get into prayer is not going to equal out you being more weird. The more you get into the word and in prayer, the less weird you're going to be if you're doing it right. And the more practical you're going to be and the more helpful you're going to be. People make it sound like it's the opposite. Oh, they're very spiritual people. Really? Because if you take a toll of their life, they are not spiritual. Being spiritual isn't having your house in a mess. All the while, you, you, look, you, you walk around with a nice spiritual frown on your face, and you're, you always look like you're in deep contemplative meditation with the Lord, but everything else is crashing in your life. You know, the blessing of the Lord isn't, wow, he, he really, you know, he... He looks spiritual, even though everything that's going on around him, you know, his wife's threatening to leave him and his children want nothing to do with him, but he's just, he's just keeping up a good attitude through it all. And he just, you know, he walks around like this. 
as if that person's the true, the truly spiritual person, when in reality, they're the least spiritual. Because God even said, if you can't take care of your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever. If you can't take care of your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever, the Bible says. You're worse than an infidel. And you shouldn't even call yourself a Christian. So when you have genuine spirituality, it's not going to repel people. It's actually going to cause people to come towards you. It's actually an attractive force that's going to get people to gravitate towards you. You look at Abraham. Everywhere he went, people wanted his help. Look at his seed, Isaac and Jacob. The Bible says the Philistines envied Isaac. The Bible says of Jacob, Laban said, man, Laban spoke of Jacob. I have learned by experience that your association to me has caused the Lord to bless me on your behalf. So people weren't trying to get away from Jacob. People were trying to connect with Jacob. Listen to this, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out from your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I'm going to show you. And I'll indeed make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Skip with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. So this is Paul in the New Testament referring to what we just spoke about in Genesis chapter 12. Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you, does he work miracles among you? And does he, does he do, does he work miracles among you by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Verse six, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know this, that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So it's not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all the way down to Christ, who is the seed of Abraham. And then because of faith, we are in Christ and become the same spiritual seed of Abraham. Therefore know that those who are of faith in Christ are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are under the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified in the sight of God by the law is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, this is the, 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 the main verse in everything that I'm saying right now. So Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We know that, but he also, verse 14 brought us into the blessing of Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now listen to this, verse 26, Galatians 3, 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor 
nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither uh, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. Verse uh, Chapter 4 and verse 1. But now I say that the heir... So the Bible's saying, everything I read in Genesis chapter 12, and you can read even in Genesis 17, God appears to Abram and says... I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between you and I, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will multiply you. Genesis 12, we said it. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you so great, you're going to be a blessing to your generation, and everyone that decides to curse you or come against you, I myself, God said, I will curse them, and anybody that decides to bless you and come behind you, I myself will bless them, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was the blessing God spoke to Abraham. Then Paul says, in Christ Jesus, not only are you redeemed from the curse, so that we no longer have to stay sick, stay poor, and do all that. Because if you read Deuteronomy 28, 15 through the end of the chapter, it talks about the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. We're redeemed from the curse of sin. We're redeemed from the curse of sickness. We're redeemed from the everything that Adam brought on the human race by sinning. Jesus Christ took out of the redeemed by his act of righteousness. But then it moves on in verse 14, so that now... Not only are we relieved from the curse, but now we are blessed with the blessing of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus. So he tells you everything in Genesis 12, that's now yours. It's not Abraham and then there's me and oh man, what a life Abraham had. Father Abraham had many sons and I am one of them because of Christ. So whatever God spoke to Abraham, when I read it now, it's God speaking directly to me. Everything God promised Abraham, and we're going to get through certain things that describe the blessing of Abraham in the moments to come, but all those things I'm about to describe are things God has now, by virtue of our redemption in Christ and our connection with Christ, and us becoming the seed of Abraham through Christ, is now promised to me. That's my story. That's my heritage. That's my DNA. That's my, my inheritance. Paul says that, that the, um, if you are Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You have inherited those very same things. So when you walk around with this mentality now, this mindset, you're not walking around like the third guy from the left on the evolution chart with your head all hunched over and your back uh, hunched over and you're just, uh, you look like the most miserable man. If they had, if, if they had you in, in, in a line, they in a line like a police had to like point you out in a line of who was the most miserable person here you're the most miserable one because how many of you know we're just wretched depraved human beings we're all just uh pieces of junk the bible says we're just you know we've all fallen short of the glory of god yeah but finish the sentence we have fallen short of the glory of god but the the wages of sin being death the free gift is life eternal that describes my position before Christ. But now because of Christ, I'm not in death any longer. I'm not bound to the body of death. I'm no longer bound to the laws of sin and death. I've been set free and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus lives in me. I'm not cursed. I'm blessed. I'm not far below. I'm far above. I'm not 
uh, I'm not um, at a disadvantage in life. I have a heavy advantage in life because if God be for me, who can be against me? So when you have this mindset, you walk differently. You talk differently. You don't carry that poor woe is me mindset. The woe is me mindset has no place in the believer's mind. The whole, I want people's sympathy, you got to drop it. If you want people's sympathy, then that's what you'll get, people's sympathy. But you have forfeited God's help in your life. The whole loathing mindset and the whole uh, uh, um, false humility that like they've almost equated humility to berating yourself and talking down about yourself, that that's true piety and true humility is how crappy of a dialogue you can have with yourself is so anti-biblical, it's not found anywhere in the New Testament. The New, the Bible, I've said this many times, before you came to Christ, the Bible has nothing good to say about you. After you came to Christ, the Bible has nothing bad to say about you. You're more than a conqueror. Greater is he that lives in you. You're the blessed seed of Abraham. You're connected to Christ. Join with him in one spirit with him. You're, the Bible says uh, you, you're, you're enabled by the power of Christ to triumph in all things by Christ Jesus. So the whole woe is me. The whole self-pity and self-degradation has to, has to leave. Put it behind you. If God didn't say it about you, you have no business speaking that thing about yourself. If the Bible doesn't refer to me as an idiot or as conquered or as defeated, as perplexed and confused and distraught and distressed, then I'm not going to say those things about myself. I'm only going to say what the word of God describes me to be. That's the secret in con to walking in constant victory. It's to understand yourself as the spiritual seed of Abraham and now walk and talk in light of it. You have to decide. I'm either going to try and secure man's pity for my life or I'm going to walk in God's blessing for my life. You secure man's pity when you start, you know, I've never been... Wise, my, it seems like everybody's against me. Seems like I never, I never, uh, I, I'm never able to get a lucky break. Seems like nobody ever wants to help me in life. Who cares if nobody wants to help you? If God is my helper and he stands by me and David said, if the Lord's at my right hand, I'll never be shaken. Who cares if Bill Gates was on your side. I'd rather have God on my side who owns all the silver and the gold than have Bill Gates who though he might be very rich is limited in resources. And if he dies, his plans die with him. So quit seeing yourself as underprivileged. You know, that's what the world wants you to think of yourself. You're, you're a certain ethnicity and that's why things don't work for you. You're a certain gender. You're a female. That's why the world's against you. You're, you're black. That's why, uh, that's why there, there's a system that's against you. You're white. That's why, you know, whatever. You're, you're brown. You're whatever color. They just want to pin it on your ethnicity. You're young. That's why you'll never, you'll never get it until you hit a certain age. And, you know, you keep talking like that, you'll, you'll see real quickly. You have people that when they were young 
They were told, hey, you're too young to do that. So they didn't do it. Then when they got to middle age, they said, hey, you're too busy to do that. So they never did it. Then they got to an older age and they said, hey, you're too old to do that. So they never, they never end up doing anything with their life because they're always blaming their problems and their lack of progress on who they are, their, their old identity, their earthly lineage, their earthly identity, rather than understanding I'm the spiritual seed of Abraham, and even if the world aligns against me, there's one who fights for me, and I know I'm going to move forward as a result. Because just like Abraham, Abraham prospered. You think Abraham had a flowers and daisies life? You think he had no problems, no challenges coming? No. Abraham's life was plagued with challenge but he never succumbed to the challenge because he never got into the oh woe woe is me you know i came you know i didn't come from a wealthy family i came from a family of idol worshipers and you know nobody in my family serves the lord and so it's been tough he he came from a family of worship idol worshipers and his father hebrew historians say was an idol maker if anyone had a had, had the ability, the opportunity to start blaming things on his past, on how things don't work for me now. You know, my family was poor. My family was this. Then Abraham had every, had every reason to do it. But he, he refused to call himself by what he was. He started to believe uh, the, the report of the Lord concerning his life. He believed he was blessed, which we're going to get into that. So quit seeing yourself by your age, your color, your gender, your economic status, I'm Abraham's seed. Whatever I was in my earthly lineage, whatever genealogy I came from, my natural bloodline, whatever it was, I don't refer to it anymore. I have a spiritual bloodline now because of the blood of Jesus. I have a spiritual family now. I might have Malkanji as my last name, but I have no connection to my earthly family on that level. Whatever happened before me, whoever, if people got sick and my great-great-grandparents, this runs through your family, this runs through your, it gets cut off. The moment I joined Christ's family is the moment all those things got cut off. You know, you'd be amazed at how many people come up to me and they say things like, you know, my, my grandfather, he had cancer and my father, he, he just tested and he's got cancer and now I'm just worried. I, I, I have this fear on me so I get tested every three months just to see if there's any cancer. I get blood tests all the time just to see if there's any problem because I just know it's going to come on me. It runs through my family tree. You talk like that? The Bible actually says, the thing which I have feared has come to me, that which, has I, that which I have dreaded has come to me, has fallen upon me. That's in Job chapter 3 and verse 16, I believe it is. The thing which I have feared has come to me. So you start talking like that, it just breeds fear, and fear attracts what it's believing for. Fear is just faith in the devil, faith in a report that's against God's report. Instead, you have to see yourself. Because of my joining together with Christ... My family tree got cut off. I, I'm no longer part of that family tree. I've joined a new family tree. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Christ, and me because of Christ. So whatever doesn't flow through that family line doesn't flow through my family line anymore. That's why Psalm 112 says, let me read this to you. Psalm 112, talking about the righteous, talking about the seed of Abraham. Then say, how... How terrible is the life of those who serve the Lord? No. You have so many people. You know, they make it as if like joining the Christian faith is like making a decision to suffer your entire life. As if you're taking a step down. Salvation isn't a step down. Salvation is a step up. 
Salvation is a decision to go forward and upward with God. You know, people talk like it was the worst thing they ever did, but it'll be worth it one day. No, it's been worth it from the moment I gave my life to Christ, and it's going to be worth it when I stand before Christ. It's going to be worth it all throughout my life. It's going to be worth it a hundred million years through eternity. It's going to be worth it forever. Because the Bible says, concerning of salvation, he took the poor and he lifted him up. He lifted him up and he sat him. He sat him far above affliction. He raises the poor man out of the dunghill. When we were not in Christ, we were in, the Bible describes it to be a dunghill, a hill full of, of crap, of, of doo-doo. And the Bible says salvation is God taking you up. You know, we always, there, there's that African song that says, he, he took me up, he pulled me up, he turned my life around, and he put my seat on, on solid ground. He pulled me up. He turned my life around. He set my feet on solid ground. Listen to Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. His descendants. So it's not just I'm blessed. Now, because of the blessing in me, I carry that blessing. You know, people are always worried about generational curses. What about generational blessings? The Abrahamic blessing is a generational blessing. What I carry now is going to be because I'm going to raise my kid up in the, in the way that they should go and they're not going to depart from it. It's going to get carried over into their life. The Bible says his descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. That's why Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Your decision to serve the Lord, you might be the first person in your entire family to make a choice to serve the Lord. And it looks like your family, they never agreed with it. They always berate you for going to church. They never want you to go to church. They always complain about your church attendance. They're always trying to bring you down, but you've stuck through it. Let me tell you, you might be the first person to break free from that broken household. Just, became, just because you came from a broken house doesn't mean a broken house has to come from you. From you can come a blessed house, can come a prospering house, can come a house that serves the Lord, that lives in righteousness, that walks in justice, that walks in truth, that has a heart for God, a family of preachers, a family of Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost people, soul winners that are living for eternity. I'll repeat that. Just because you came from a broken home does not mean a broken home has to come from you. As the seed of Abraham, you know, one of the things God loved about Abraham, Genesis 18 says this, one of the things God loves about Ab loved about Abraham was his anointing and authority to command his household. Isaac was blessed because Abraham commanded his, his household accordingly. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth, wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness will endure forever. Wealth and riches will be in his house. So it's not your earthly background that determines your future. It's your heavenly heritage now that determines your future. But I was reading Galatians 4.1. It says, now this I say that the, in the, the heir, the one who, is, who has access to this inheritance, as long as he is childlike, differs not at all from a slave, though he be master of all. So that's why I'm getting into this today. Even though all these things are yours in Christ, if you're a child in your understanding of what I'm about to say today, you're going to differ not at all from a slave, someone who doesn't have all these things. 
You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 21, 16, he that wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. So even though the blessing of Abraham is yours, if you wander from the way of understanding, these things are not ingrained in your spirit, you'll rest in the assembly of the dead, meaning people that don't even know the Lord, people that are cut off from all these things, your life will, no, will look no different, even though you're saved and on your way to heaven. Because you don't have an, a rich understanding of the things that I'm speaking on, your life's not going to look any different from their life. That's what Galatians 4 says. He's, the, he's, he ma he's to be master over all. And he's the heir of all these things. But as long as he's a child, he'll differ not at all from a slave. Someone who's enslaved to the system of this world. Someone who's enslaved to the pharmaceutical system of this world. Someone who's enslaved to the world economic system of this world. Will differ no, not at all to someone who has been set free, but doesn't understand their spiritual lineage and heritage. So let me move on. Let me move on. This I wrote down seven. What did Abraham's blessing contain? What, what was the description? What did, what did Abraham have that showed that he was blessed? And I want to repeat it to you. And I'll read it in Deuteronomy 28, actually. The blessing of God is not some intangible thing. It's tangible. You can feel it. You can see it. It's not, oh, his life's going to hell in a handbasket, but he's blessed. Amen. No. There's something you can see. Deuteronomy 28. Listen to this. Verse 11. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of the ground, in the land which the Lord your God swore to, to give to your fathers. The Lord will open to you his good treasures, the heavens, to give to you rain in your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You will lend to many nations, and you will not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You'll be above only and not beneath you will, if you'll heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. Um, verse 8. Let me go back a bit. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouse, storehouse and in all to which you set your hand to do. He will bless you in the land which, um, which he has given to you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Verse 10, Deuteronomy 28, 10, listen to this. Then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they'll be afraid of you. So when the blessing of God comes on you, it's something people can see. It's something that's tangible. And it's not only material, Although there is the part of the material blessing of God, and I'm going to get through that. But there is a tangible, evident, visible evidence of the blessing of God being on your life. Psalm 126, listen to this. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream, and our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the heathens... People that don't serve the Lord. So we're not talking about spiritual people that said, oh, wow, they're blessed. We can just see it in the spirit realm. We're not talking about weird people. We're talking about heathen people that looked at how God blessed his people and said, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. So real Bible blessing is so you, can't, you cannot hide it. 
Real Bible blessing overflows to the point where it's not just you and people around you know you're blessed. People hear, and I prophesy in the name of Jesus, people will hear about God blessing you. People that from high school that follow you on Facebook, people that you don't even know are watching you are going to hear and see God elevate and promote you. And they'll begin, people that wanted to crush you will start to celebrate you because they'll have undeniably witnessed God's good hand of favor on your life. Just like Joseph's brother tried to kill him, tried to crush him, but he was the spiritual seed of Abraham. His great, he was his great-grandchild, or great-great-grandchild. And at the end of his life, what happened? The brothers that tried to delay and oppose God's blessing on Joseph's life ended up coming around him and bowing before him, undeniably witnessing everything God had. They couldn't, they couldn't credit, it, credit it to anything else. They couldn't say, well, Joseph was just Jacob's favorite. No, they did everything in the natural to stop that dream from coming to, to pass. But when God is the source of your blessing and when God's the source of your promotion and when God is behind your lifting up it doesn't matter if every witch in Africa in South America in Canada in America get together to curse you God has blessed you and whom God has blessed there's no demonic incantation and curse that can do anything to derail you from getting to where God's going to bring you even the heathen I prophesy there will be people in your own family that have criticized your walk with God that will come behind Come and say, hey, we can't deny it. God's done great things for you. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John lift up that man that was lame at the gate called Beautiful. And when the Sanhedrin, who had crucified Christ 50 days or 60 days before that, heard about the miracle, they said, what can we do about it? Indeed, a notable miracle has been done, and everybody's witnessed it. They couldn't do anything about it. Even people that were against the advancement of the church and the cross and the name of Jesus Christ. They said, indeed, a notable miracle. God's about to do notable miracles in your life. Notable blessing. What, a, what is notable? It's, peop, it's blessing and favor that people take note of. That they can't ignore. Hallelujah. So what did Abraham's blessing have? Genesis 13, 2. It had livestock, it had silver, and it had gold. So that talks about the material part of it. Abraham wasn't struggling financially, neither should you. Anybody that tells you poverty is pi piety is of the devil. Reinhard Bonnke used to say this all the time, that he's been in a lot of impoverished nations in the world, a lot of African nations. He's been in the bush of Africa. And he said, I have witnessed the effect of poverty, and it is the it's the most atrocious thing the devil's ever done. Because poverty doesn't just stop at getting people not to eat. Poverty moves on in uh, bacterially infested waters that cause disease. It causes people to, you know, it causes people to steal. It causes crime to go up. Poverty does a lot of ugly, nasty things. That's why the devil wants to keep this poverty mindset in the church. That it's almost humble the more poor you are. It's not humble. If it was humble, then and if it was good, and if it was righteous, then G God would not have paved the streets of heaven with gold. If it was godly, then why did God 
make the, 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 the walls of the new Jerusalem to be laced with every jewel and every diadem and every diamond. Heaven is a place of prosperity. And Abraham tasted and saw of that heavenly prosperity in his life. And I want to remind you, the purpose of the prosperity side of the blessing of God is not for self-advancement. It's not so, so you can, you know, buy 16 houses in every single uh, place you ever dreamed to, to own a house in. The purpose of the prosperity, God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. It's so that we're not the ones in need. You know, it's, it's ugly to me to see churches having to color in a red thermometer so that they can have their needs met. You know, church needs a new hot water uh, pump. And so we need such and such amount of money to be, to be able to afford that. And so we're just uh, pleading with you, if you'll dig deep into that wallet today. Really, you're going to tell the people we serve Jehovah Jireh, the God of blessing, the God of more than enough, El Shaddai, not El Chipo, El Shaddai. Not Jehovah, not enough, but Jehovah Jireh, the God of more than enough. And then go out and say, hey, can you guys reach deep into your pockets? We have a need that needs to be met. And then go and sit before a banker. You know, that's exactly what the devil wants. That churches be constantly tied to debt, constantly tied to mortgages, constantly tied to the bank system. Paying all kinds of interest, advancing the wicked who have no desire. And then you know what? It's amazing because you have Christians that'll bash a, a, a church that is prospering. Oh, they're all about that prosperity stuff. They're all about the blessing and all that. And then they'll go, they'll go to Las Vegas and see all the edifices and all the buildings and just say, wow, isn't it amazing? That's such a beautiful building. Not even knowing that those buildings are housing wicked things like gambling that causes suicide and, and, and people's economic collapse and houses to be destroyed. Nothing good happens in casinos. You have a man of God that believes God for a jet, a, a private aircraft, so he can keep up with the itinerary that he has. And they bash him, rip him up. How, who, what does he need a jet for? Um, the same reason... The Red Cross needs a jet. The same reason the Bill Gates needs a jet. He has an itinerary that he can't fly pr uh, public airlines anymore. He can't fly commercial. I mean, some people are so lazy, they don't even know the schedule some people keep up with. I know some men of God that they're like in six different cities in like four days. How are you going to fly commercial? You're going to rear yourself thin. There's a story... Uh, Lester Summerall tells where he got on a on an air, on a a, a, a a train once, and he played full. He paid full, you know, the the first class ticket, and he had access to dining and everything. And they had another minister going to preach the same conference that he paid, you know, just commercial, and he got he he just needed a seat on the on the train to to save money. And uh, he actually criticized Lester Sermon. Why do you need to have first class? Why do you have to have all that? Well, six hours, seven hours later in the train, they get to the destination, and Lester Sermon comes out. He slept. He, he had a bed in his room. He was well-rested, ready to preach the meeting. And the other guy came out with a sore back, couldn't stop complaining about his back, and said, I need to sleep. I don't think I can preach tonight. Do you think God cares more about money or about how you are fit to preach, ready to go? 
So there's some preachers that they need private aircraft. They need, and why do they need a building that big? Uh, maybe because they have to house the amount of people that keep coming every week because the anointing is manifest in their services. You have people criticize a, a guy for having an aircraft, a Christian man, a preacher, and then they'll be the first ones applauding Kanye West for his new jet. Did you see the new Boeing 747 Drake got? Man, it has like a party room in it, and they start glorifying it. Meanwhile, he's flying around doing concerts that add no value to anybody's life. And then the preacher's going around actually bringing the gospel where he goes. Makes no sense to me. Livestock, silver, and gold. Financial prosperity for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God is part of the blessing of Abraham. Number two, there was an army, Genesis 14, 14, an army of 318 trained men that followed Abraham. Part of the blessing of Abraham is God raising you up to the point where people follow you, where you have a spiritual leadership, where people start to, to, to see you as someone that's worth following. Not someone that, hey, get out of the way. That when there's a problem in your family, they don't even call you to the table. Part of the blessing of Abraham is you're a solution provider. He had an army of 318 people that followed him and for the purpose of bringing a solution to Lot's problem. Part of the blessing of Abraham is being a solution provider and being a leader in your generation where people can look to you for a way out. Number three, wealth and influence beyond what nations had. Genesis chapter 21, Abraham was a nation in one man. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 21. And verse 22 and 23. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of, of his army, spoke to Abraham. So Abimelech was the captain of the Philistines. He had a full nation under him. Abraham had only 318 people with him. But this is what he spoke to Abraham. God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you'll not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I've done to you, you will do to me and to the land which you have. And Abraham said, I swear. Genesis 24 and 35. Listen to this. So Abraham's servant said, I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he's become great, and he's given his, he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. So you see here, Abraham had, so, had accumulated so much wealth that nations began to make peace agreements with him. Nations began to make covenants with him. So that he wouldn't overtake them. Hey, swear to me, let's make an alliance. They came out and wanted to ally with him, lest, lest they should be swallowed up. I mean, listen, listen to this. Genesis chapter 13 verse 2 says, Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Then you do Genesis 13 verse 6. Lot was also with Abram and had flocks and herds and tents. Listen to this. Now the land was not able to support the two of them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great they couldn't dwell together. He had 
such an amount of wealth that caused them to have influence. You see, that's the purpose of wealth. That's why the church, the devil wants to keep the church poor. Because if the church stays poor, Ecclesiastes 9, listen to this. I'm trying to back everything I have with scripture because, you know, you start talking about the subject of money and it's like, it's amazing to me because you'll have Christians that love hearing 10 steps to the curse or, or, or 10 steps to being delivered to the, from the curse or sermons fully outlining the curse. Here's what the curse looks like. Here, you know, this is what the curse of the law does or, you know, sermons that just revolve around being cursed and what the curse does and the curse of the devil. And here's what, here's what the curse will bring to you. The moment, and they, they love it, they gravitate towards it. The moment a preacher starts to talk about the blessing, kids, get your jackets, we're leaving. We can't stay around this. This is that blessing stuff. We don't do the blessing. We only do the cursing. So you love hearing about the curse. You love talking about the curse. You love referring to the curse. You love to be educated on the curse. But the moment you start to talk about the blessing, you want to get out of there, that's not the heart of Abraham. Abraham was blessing-oriented. And this is why the devil wants to keep the church poor. Because if you, whether you like it or not, the Bible even says it, riches bring influence. Why do you think Bill, Bill Gates has so much influence? It's not because he's smarter than anyone else. It's because of the wealth he has. Why do you think Jeff Bezos has so much influence? Why do you think Mark Zuckerberg has so much influence? It's not just because of Facebook. It's because of the wealth faith, Facebook has. Look at Apple. Apple has more wealth than nations. They, have, they, they can literally pay. They, they're wealthier than the United States of America. Because the, the United States of America is $17 trillion in debt. Whereas the, the Apple as a company has $3 trillion of assets. That gives them influence. Listen to this. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. This wisdom, verse 13, I have seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise, a poor wise man. There was found in the city a poor wise man. So he was wise, but he was poor. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet nobody remembered that same poor man. So I said, wisdom is de better than strength, Nevertheless, nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So the Bible says, no matter how much wisdom you have, and we have the wisdom of God, which is the gospel, no matter how much wisdom you have, to get national attention in a lot of time in a lot of places, it takes it takes wealth. The Bible says his his words will not even be heard or paid attention to because he's poor. That's why the church, the devil wants to keep the church poor. Because wealth brings influence. Number four, a long satisfying life. Genesis 24:1. This is part of the blessing of Abraham. The Bible says Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Genesis chapter uh, 15, I believe it is. 15, 15. As for you, Abraham, you shall go to your, your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. The Bible says in um, Genesis chapter 25 and verse 7 and 8. Genesis chapter 25. 
verses 7 and 8. And this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived, 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. So God not only told him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you live long and you'll be buried at a good old age. God brought that to pass. Long, long satisfying life is the portion of those that, that carry the blessing of Abraham. Number five, God's protection. I'll curse those that curse you, God said. Anybody that makes it a point to make your life difficult, I'm going to be a wall of fire around you and I'll personally deal with them. That's part of the blessing of Abraham. And you can see that. Abimelech takes Sarah, Abraham's wife. God appears to him in a dream and says, Abimelech, you're a dead man because you've taken that man's wife and he's a righteous man and he's my prophet. He appeared to Abimelech in a dream and said, you're a dead man. You better restore that wife to that man or you're dead. I'll kill you. God literally, the Bible says, he that touches you touches the apple of mine eye. Number six, direct communication with God. The Bible says Abraham was the friend of God. Abraham spoke openly with God as a man speaks to a friend face to face. Part of the blessing of Abraham is our direct access, our direct access to God in prayer. In the New Testament, Jesus said, in that day, you're not going to ask me anything. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you that your joy may be made full. So he's saying, in the day that you become the spiritual seed of Abraham by faith in my atoning work, in that day, you don't have to ask me anything. You have direct access to God the Father. Number six, direct communication with God. And number seven, blessed in all things, uncursable. Numbers 23, Balaam was hired by Balak, the king of Bashan, to curse Israel, the people of God. And the scripture says he went out and tried to do it but every time, God rebuked him for it, and he was unable. Not only did he not curse the people of God, he said, uh, he said, not only can I not curse them, God has added blessing to them. That shows you that whom God has blessed, no man can curse. That anytime someone makes it a point to curse you, witch, warlock, whatever, their decision to curse you is actually, all it's going to do is bounce the curse back on them, and then get God to bless you even further. The Bible says the curse without cause shall not alight. Blessed in all things. Genesis 24, 1. Abraham was old, well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed him in everything. Let's move on into what are five things Abraham did to activate this blessing. This, this, this is the crux of this entire message. I'm going to run through it quickly. What are the five things? I said it before in John 8, 39. If you were children to Abraham, if you were the sons of Abraham, you would do, you would do the work of Abraham. Aubrey Young, if, if you want, you can just sign off and there's no problem. There's plenty of other, you know, preachers on YouTube that you can, you can talk about and, and get on. And to call someone a wolf without ever even meeting them and talking to them and, and not even knowing our heart and what we do and how many souls that come into the kingdom through this ministry every year is pretty low. And first of all, the very first thing you have to do in, in, in knowing when someone's just criticizing in the flesh or when, whether someone's being spiritually discerning is 
Have they followed the Matthew 18 platform? Jesus said when you have a problem with a brother or a sister, you're to take them aside privately and discuss the issue with them privately. If they don't hear you, then take two or three witnesses with them and discuss it with them. If they won't hear you between two or three, then take out, bring them before the church themselves and, 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 and you know, go at them like that, excommunicate them. So you went straight to publicly criticizing a ministry without having done the first, you haven't even reached out to me to talk to me. So before you go out and start pulling triggers and, and going after people with bow and arrow, I would suggest you go back to your word, get the word in your heart, know, understand that. And then if you have something with me, we can talk on DM and move on from there. But I would, I would strongly be careful as to what you're doing. What did Abraham do? John 8, 39. The Bible says that uh, if you were truly sons of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. So what, what are five things Abraham did that marked him out? Number one, he, he looked to God only. He only looked to God as his source. Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. He looked only to God as his source. He didn't make man his source. He wasn't looking to uh, government for a way out, to be bailed out. He wasn't looking for, he wasn't panhandling on the side of the street. He wasn't this Facebook beggar. You know how many Facebook beggars there are? They go on Facebook and, uh, you know, in need, for a, in need of a couch or something. And uh, if anybody know, has a couch for sale, in reality, they're not looking for a couch for sale. They're looking for someone to just give them a couch. They're always looking for hand-me-downs. They're always looking to man's hand instead of looking to God's hand. And as a result, they've cut off the blessing of God from flowing in their life. Genesis 14, this is one of the, the main secrets of Abraham. Now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, that I will take nothing that is yours, Lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Verse fi uh, chapter 15 and verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your reward will be very great. So Abram tells the king of Sodom who said, Hey, all the spoil of war is yours to take. All the plunder, you can take it for yourself. Abram said, I've already lifted my hand to God most high. I'm not going to touch anything that you want to give to me, lest down the line you start saying, I've made Abraham rich, and God doesn't get the glory for it. If I'm going to be made in life, if I'm going to move forward in life, if I'm going to increase in life, then I'm going to do it by God's hand and God's hand alone. Psalm 76 says that promotion for men cometh neither from the east, doesn't come from the west, doesn't come from the south. It comes from the Lord who lifts up one and puts down another. Promotion comes from the Lord. Abraham understood that. So he didn't get, he, he, he wasn't going around trying to be everybody's prayer project. Hold on, let me just do something everybody wants to do in the first place.
There you go. You're welcome, everybody. He he um he wasn't going around, you know, trying to post his knees at every tree. Just by any chance, someone rich would come his way and say, Hey Abraham, I heard you've been going, things have been going rough for you. Let me help you. He wasn't looking to governments or political parties for hand-me-downs. You know, when the whole pandemic happened, uh, what, 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 what was the first thing they tried to do? The government was handing money out to people. And if you took the money, it's not, you know, it's, there's no sin in doing it. But there were a lot of Christians that took the government hand down as like, wow, this is going to get me by. You know, when you do that, it's distasteful to God. It actually irritates God. When people are, are looking to government hand-me-downs and feeding programs and government assistance programs and government housing and all that, there are literally people that will refuse to move forward and increase because if they do that, they're going to lose the privileges that the government's been giving them and they don't want to lose that. They don't want to lose that family allowance they get. So they've made government their source and a political party their source rather than looking to God as their source. Quit panhandling for the blessing. Stop looking to man for your big break. If only I can get, if only I can, you know, hook up with that person. They know this guy and they know that guy. You know, you know what I mean? How many preachers are like that? If, if I can just get around that preacher, man, he knows so much. If I can just get on Sid Roth's show, I know I'm going to explode. If I can just get on that guy's broadcast, oh man, I'm going to get. And God never gives them that increase because they, they're not looking and believing God, fasting and praying for the Lord. You know, the Bible says, humble yourself before the hand of God and he will exalt you. They're looking for man's exaltation. Let me read this in Psalm 146. Psalm 146. You see how you talk about the blessing and how it brings out the wolves? It brings out weird people. You see how you talk about the blessing and it, it like religious demons. They can't. They can't. People who never even watch the broadcast all, all of a sudden come in and like they, they cannot stop. They're like keyboard warriors. I have to let everybody know I'm the watchman on the wall. It's amazing. It's so spiritual. It's very spiritual. If you needed any further convincing that this, what I'm speaking is God word based, I mean, let that be your, your let that be the, the thing that convinces you. Only time we ever, when we preach on just salvation, nobody ever rise up. You start to talk about healing. You start to talk about money. You start to talk about God increasing his children. Ah. They, man they manifest. They can't handle it. But you know what? They said, don't speak or teach in this name any longer. They said, I can't stop but speaking the same things that I've heard and the things that I've seen in, in, in God's word. You can't stop. Opposition is not a sign that you're doing things wrong. Opposition is a sign that you're doing everything right. They said of Jesus, this man is a devil. If nobody's ever called you a devil, I wonder if you're even saved. <laughs> they should call you, they should, people should be irritated. Religious people, not sinners. Sinners love what I preach because they get saved, they get baptized, they live a holy life after. It's religious people. I've never seen that in my life, so it's not true. I've never seen that. Well, I know Aunt Sally died. Uh, oh, I've never seen that level of blessing in my life, and I don't want anyone else to have it. That's the prodigal son's brother's story. 
sees the prodigal son come back, the father showing his goodness to his child. Hey, have the fatted calf. Let's feast. Let's feast on my blessing. The old religious brother came out. I've never had anything given to me. Never seen that happen for me. Been here all this time. I've never been blessed. Can't be true. On the wrong side of history. Anyway, Psalm 146. Listen to this. Don't put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. So don't put your trust in man, because when he dies, he returns to the earth. In that very day, his plans to help you perish. But happy is the man who has the God of Jacob for his help. Bible says in Jer Jeremiah 17, Cursed is the man who puts his trust in men, who is always looking to men for help and security. That man will never see prosperity come, the Bible says. Then it says, Jeremiah 17 and verse 5, But blessed is the man whose focus is on the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Everybody has a they that wants to help them. If only they could help me. If only they. Quit with the they, they's. If, make this a resolution for yourself today. If God can't help me, if God can't do it, let it never be done. If God can't take me there, may I never go there. If God can't give it to me, may I never have it. Because if God can't do it, then what business do I have to look at others to get it done? So Abraham looked to God alone. The Bible says they looked unto him, Psalm 34, 5, and they were no longer ashamed for their faces became radiant. You should try this. You have two eyes. Can you look with one eye? Can you look up and the other light look down? Try it. You're going to look funny. That's all that happens. Neither can you claim to be looking to God and looking to men at the same time. Enoch had a boy. One of the, he, he founded the largest church in the world right now, the Redeemed Christian Church of God, has five to eight million members that attend their Holy Ghost rally every year. The Lord spoke to him once when God had increased him and he was starting to see a tremendous growth. He has a church that's three miles wide by three miles long. That, uh, three kilometers, sorry. Three kilometers wide by three kilometers long. That's massive by any standard. The Lord said, Stoop down and write in the sand your name. So he got down. He was randomly just walking. And he got down on his knees and he started to write, Enoch Adeboye. The Lord said, now wipe it. And he wiped it off, off the, he wiped out his name from the dust and the sand. And the Lord spoke to him in that moment and said, so shall I do to you if you ever forget who took you there. Whoever, if you ever forget where you, uh, who got you to where you're at right now, so shall I do to you. I'll wipe you off the face of this earth. That's why I said before, it irritates God. When I don't even say things like, you know, if it wasn't for our partners and our ministry partners, we, we wouldn't be able to keep on going. No, we would be able to keep on going because God would cause ravens and ravens to bring us food and bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat at night. I think it irritates God when um, we thank our partners, we're co-laborers, we, we love everyone that, that's partnered with us in the vision of this ministry to see our generation shaken with the power of God. However... You'll never hear me say that we couldn't do anything we do without you. We would continue to do what we do without anybody. If everybody stopped giving, God's blessing still funnels and flows to this ministry. We'd move on. We'd move on.
You have to have that mindset. If everybody aligns against me, God is still moving me forward. The Bible says, let no man boast in men, for you are God's and all things belong to you. Number two, Abraham believed he was blessed. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15. So number one is Abraham looked to God alone as his source. Genesis 15, number two says he believed he was blessed. Abraham believed that he was blessed. It wasn't just something he thought about. He believed it. He didn't believe he was cursed. There's too many Christians that are curse conscious. I think I'm cursed. I think I have a curse. They only know about curses. More talk about curses than the blessing in, in most churches. Abraham wasn't going around thinking about curses and looking about looking insecure, wondering if he was cursed or not. Abraham understood he was blessed. Listen to this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body will be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven, and count the stars if you're able to number them. He said to them, So shall your descendants be. And Abraham, verse 6, And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So the Bible says that God said, This is how I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your descendants more than the sand on the sea and the stars in heaven. And the very next verse says, so Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. He believed that he was blessed. Why do you think Jewish people in every nation that they're found in are always ranked number one as contributors to their society? Why is it that the Jewish people are always Nobel Prize winners? They're always the, the, the greatest innovative minds in any generation they're always you look at in montreal the nicest neighborhoods westmount in montreal is mostly inhabited by jewish people why do you think they experience such tremendous prosperity and influence because they believe themselves to be the true seed of abraham and they believe that they are blessed because of their they're the chosen generation. They're the chosen people. Well, the Bible actually says he's not a Jew who's one outwardly, but he's a Jew who's one inwardly. That because of our circumcision in the heart, we're the true spiritual Jew, the true seed of Abraham. So if they consider, which they, God has a plan for the Jews. I'm not, I'm not a replacement theology where the Jews are. No, they're still the chosen people. They're still... Uh, God's blessed chosen people and God has a plan to save all of Israel in the end the scripture is very clear about that however we're in Christ the true seed of Abraham that's very clear in the New Testament and so if they call themselves blessed being the natural seed of Abraham how much more should we walk in this blessing believing ourselves to carrying the the, the actual blessing of Abraham having been made Abraham's seed by our joining together with Christ What you, that's why what you talk about is what's going to increase and multiply in your life. The Jews don't talk about them being cursed. They don't talk about how hard things are. The Jews talk. You hear, about, you hear them talk. They talk about the 
Pentateuch. They talk about the Torah. They talk about how God blessed Abraham, and then they teach their children, this is going to be your story. So that, that magnet, that multiplies in their life. You have a lot of Christians, all they know to talk about is curse. This is how, you know, things have always been hard for our family. We've always been poor. We've always been sick. We've always been defeated. We've never had victory. We've never been much. We've never, and that's what multiplies in their life. What you talk about the most is going to increase. So when you believe you're blessed, you're going to talk like you're blessed. I don't talk about generational curses. Why do you think I've never done a broadcast on generational curses? Because I've taught before. When you were redeemed from the curse by Christ, Christ has redeemed us from the curse, that put an end to all curses. Generational, earthly, satanic, ritualistic, whatever it is. It's, been, it's, it's, it's in my past. I don't identify by that anymore. Curses no longer have a hold on me. There's a song I love called Man of Sorrows. And the, the bridge of the song is amazing. It says, um, now the, the curse of sin. What is it? Hold on. Man of Sorrows. This is the, the lyrics of the song. And I love the song. You should listen to it today. Now my debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. What's the curse of sin? What was in Eden? What was in the human race after man fell from Eden? Well, what was in the human race after man fell from Eden is the curse of sin. What wasn't present in Eden is listed as the curse of sin. Now the curse of sin has no hold in me, on me, whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Generational curses no longer are connected to you in Christ Jesus. However, if you'll keep that connect, you will keep that connection alive if all you do is speak about generational curse and how cursed you are and, and, uh, and just talk about that. You keep it alive. The devil will gladly accommodate your terrible theology. You're part of a new family. I said it before, a new lineage, a new heritage, the family of Abraham. Abraham was not cursed. Anybody that tried to curse Abraham got cursed, and Abraham just moved forward. Numbers 23, the children of Israel, they said, whom God has cursed, no man can curse. Behold, these three times you've cursed them, but all that you've done is actually blessed them. The Bible says uh, in Numbers 23, 23, it says that there is no incantation against Israel, and there's no curse that can come against Jacob. Well, that's part of the blessing of Abraham. So consider the rock from which you are hewn. Consider Abraham. Consider his descendants and how they live. Consider how they were uncursable. And now, believe that for yourself. You got to say it out loud. I'm not under a curse. I'm blessed. I'm not bound by earthly, my earthly lineage. I'm connected to my heavenly heritage. For poverty, I have wealth. For sickness, I have healing. I'm not cursed, I'm blessed. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He not only believed he was blessed, he believed he was blessed to be a blessing too. I want to take it a step further. Abraham not only believed he was blessed, he believed he carried a generational blessing. He wasn't in need, he met people's need. You look at Abraham's life, he, 
He was such a generous person. Everywhere he went, he was meeting people's needs. You had three people pass by and, and uh, in the heat of the day, and he's just sitting by the, the, the frame of his door. He's sitting under the shade, and he sees people, three people pass by. And he goes, hey, 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 my Lord, come here. Don't even pass me by until I've blessed you. Don't pass me by until I've fed you. He not only was blessed, he was seeking to be actively be a blessing to people that came by his way. So stop saying I'm in need. Say I'm anointed to meet people's needs. Stop saying I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm whole. And I'm anointed to make others whole. I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm nothing. No, actually, you were some, everybody's something to Jesus. Everybody's somebody to Jesus. And Jesus, he didn't just bandage you up, but you're still full of scars and brokenness. There's a song that they sing from a band that I actually like, but the lyrics start off by saying, we're an altar of broken stones. That's not Bible. We're not an altar of broken stones. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, we're an altar filled with living stones connected to Christ, the cornerstone, and we receive the flow of life from that cornerstone to generate the same life in us. I'm not a broken stone. I'm made whole by my connection to Christ and I'm empowered to make others whole. That's why God turned, changed Abraham's name. Call, stop calling yourself by what you used to be or what your family was. I, call, I come from a family of alcoholics. Alcoholism. Alcoholism comes, uh, alcoholism um, just runs through my family. You know, we've never, we've never been successful people and all that. God told Abraham, Ch Abram, change your name from Abraham, which meant exalted father, to Abraham. Because you're no longer Abram. That's your old ID. Your new ID is you're a father of a multitude of nations. So don't wait to feel. He didn't, Abraham wasn't like, well, I'll wait till I see Isaac before I start calling myself that. You don't wait till you feel blessed to call yourself blessed. You don't wait to, to feel anointed to call yourself anointed. You say I'm blessed. Deuteronomy 28 says, all these blessings will come on you as you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the field. So I don't wait till I feel blessed. I am blessed. Wait till I feel anointed. 1 John 2.20 says that I have an anointing from the Holy One and I know all things. I am anointed. I'm not a beggar and I'm not going to wait till I, I feel like I have everything sorted out. I am a king because the Bible says I'm a royal priesthood and Revelation 5 says he has made us a king and priest unto our God and Savior. You know, I don't feel like a king. It doesn't matter what you feel like. Abraham didn't feel blessed, but he called himself Abraham, the blessed father of a multitude of nations. Well, I don't feel strong. Who cares? I let the weak say I am strong. Well, I don't feel happy. Who cares? I have joy unexplainable and full of glory running through me. Well, I don't feel like I have peace. Who cares? I have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding in me. Well, I don't feel like I, I'm wise or intelligent. I have the mind of Christ. I'm wise whether I feel like it or not. Well, I don't feel blessed. Doesn't matter. The blessing's irreversible. Whom God has blessed, no man can curse. You're blessed. Number two, Abraham believed he was blessed. Number three, Abraham did not tolerate sin in his life. 
Genesis 17, 1 and 2, the Bible says, Abraham, walk before me and be thou blameless. He didn't tolerate sin. And you see that. Because he broke off. Depart from your father's house and your relatives. Well, why did God say depart from your relatives and your father's house? His family was a family of idol worshipers. Joshua 24, 2 says that. They were a family of idol worshipers. And God's very first instruction to him was break free from it. He didn't, he didn't say, well, you know, uh, let, me just, uh, let me just think about it. You know, I really, I'm going to miss my father. And, you know, I just started to cultivate this relationship with one of my cousins. And we started to get along. We've been trying to get along for all these years. And now you're asking me to leave. He didn't, he didn't tolerate it. He left. He obeyed. What you tolerate in your home is what's going to grow to, to a, a strength beyond your control. Abraham conducted his affairs aright. He nipped sin at the bud. He uprooted it the moment he saw it. What do you allow in your home? If you want this blessing activated in your life, what, you, you got to follow the steps of Abraham. What do you allow in your home? If Jesus were to walk through your home, what would you be compelled to apologize for? If Abraham, if Oral Roberts or your favorite preacher walked through your household, what would you be compelled to apologize for? What would you say, oh, sorry, uh, that painting, we're about to take it down actually. It was a friend that gave it to us. Oh, that Netflix show that it just says recently watched. Yeah, we don't, it was an accident. We stumbled on it. What would you be, what would you be making excuses for? That's compromise. And compromise is the quickest way to destruction. Because what you compromise on, your children are going to enjoy and entertain themselves with. What you give an inch, they'll take a mile with. A mile with. And it's not necessarily like outward sins, like sexual immorality or anything. Do you have, is it a sin of lukewarmness in your home? Do you prioritize soccer practice for your children over being in church on Sunday morning? What, do, you, do you prioritize everything else? Well, football's on Sunday, and so we can't make it to church on Sunday nights because we have Sunday night football. It's a tradition in our family. Yeah, do that. Long enough, your kids, they're not going to see that that's not normal, and they're going to adapt that for, their very, for their, their, very, their very lives. And not only that, they're going to take it a mile further. They might not even attend church because they saw you put such a low premium on church attendance. They saw it didn't really matter to you. I mean, how can you talk about, you know, when Paul talked about Christ, he didn't say he was a part of my life. Christ who is my life. Christ is my life. He's everything about me. He's my all in all. He's my thought in the morning. He's my last thought at night. He's my thought all through the day. Everything I do is to press towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To put my hand to the plow while it is yet day, knowing that night comes that no man can work. That's, that's my life. Church Sunday morning is actually... It's just roll call for me. That's all it is. It's not, it, that's not the only time God gets my attention. I got, my home is a, I don't, I, we're not a family that goes to church. This is a Christian home. This is a Christian home. We don't, we said nothing wicked before. I, I was watching a show the other week, me and my wife. Watched two or three episodes and probably two or three episodes too much. And, and, and it started to get into weird stuff, and it had a good story to it. 
But the Lord spoke to me, you're compromising holiness on this. And I, uh, that's it. Carrie, we're not watching that anymore. And my wife's like, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't have anyways. We, 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 we cut it out. Cut it out. We're not going to fast forward through the scenes. We'll just fast forward through it. If you have to fast forward 30% of your show, it's probably a good thing to just cut it out. What you tolerate is what will grow in your life. And it'll grow even stronger in your children's life. Abraham had an intolerance for sin. He put the idols behind him. You can't tolerate what God detests and expect to, to get to your desired destination in life. You cannot tolerate what God abhors and expect God to bless you. It doesn't work that way. The Bible says, blessings chase the righteous, but curses chase sinners. Number four, Abraham was a, a peacemaker. Genesis 13, 5 through 9. Genesis chapter 13, 5 through 9. Abraham said, Now the land was not able to support him and Lot, that, the, that they might dwell together. Their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's flock, uh, livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let us, let there be no strife between you and I, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. Is not the whole land before us? Please separate from me. You take the left, I'll go to the right, or you take the right and I'll go to the left. Abraham sought to make peace everywhere he went. He even said, I'll take whatever land you want. I, I will value peace above getting what, the, the best of the land. Because I know, Abraham knew, wherever I go, the blessing of God is going to be there. And I'm going to increase and I'm going to flourish. So it doesn't even matter where I go. I just want peace. The Bible says, strive to be at peace with all men. Scripture says that we are to be at peace with men and have holiness. For without it, no man will see the Lord. So it's not just holiness. A lack of holiness that will cause you to not see God at work in your life. It's not being at peace. Are you a... Uh, um, a strife-filled person? Are you contentious? Are you always a fighter against everything? You're always, you're, you just pick every battle? Non-important issues? You're always, you're always playing devil's advocate? Always contending with people? Never able to just bring peace? You know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Are you a peace breaker or a peacemaker? Abraham was a peacemaker. He went and fought a war just to bring peace to Lot. Abraham was interceding for Sodom so that even peace would go to Sodom. He didn't want it to get destroyed. He said, Lord, if, there's be, if there be just 10 righteous people, would you not destroy it? Yes, if there's 10, I won't destroy it. He contended for peace. The Bible says when Abimelech had taken Sarah, his wife, and, and uh, God had visited Abimelech in a dream and said, hey, deliver it back to Abraham. He did it. Abraham then prayed for Abimelech so that he might be healed. He made peace. He didn't say, hey, should have never touched her in the first place. Now God will strike you. No, he made peace. James and John, the sons of thunder. Jesus was passing through a village of the Samaritans. And they said, you can't come here. Go another way. Their immediate reaction. Their immediate reaction was... 
was, uh, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to kill these people? Jesus said, hey, you don't even know what spirit you're speaking of. I didn't come to kill people. I came to save. I didn't come to destroy people's lives. I came to save people's lives. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, for goodness sake. If we're going to connect with him, we got to be children of peace. As much as it depends on you, the Bible says, strive to be at peace with all men. So there's some people, some people that, that you know, they're always going to want to break peace with you. They're, they're going to be contentious people. They never get along with you. And they're never going to get along with you. And that's fine. The Bible says you, as long as it depends on you. They might have something against you. You know, like some people on, uh, today on this broadcast. Something calling me a wolf or whatever. They have something against me. I forgive them. I pray God blesses them. And God, you know, would open up their eyes to, to, to see the fullness of the word of God. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to call them out and say, no, you're a wicked person. I declare the curse of the Lord on No. God will deal with them. Doesn't, the Bible doesn't even say those who curse, curse you, you have to pray and God's going to... No, it just says those who curse you and those who come against you and oppose you, God will deal with them. That's why it says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And Romans 12 says that we are to pray for our enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those that spitefully use you and say all kinds of evil things against you for His name's sake. Pray for them. Pray for them. Bible says, if woe to, woe to you if all men speak well of you. But blessed are you when people persecute you and say evil things against you falsely for my name's sake. For great is your reward in heaven. So don't worry about the haters. Just strive as long as it depends on you. Don't deliberately go out and be a jerk and then say, you know, we're going to be persecuted for the gospel. No, you aren't persecuted for the gospel. You're persecuted because you're a jerk. Because you're annoying, not anointed, annoying. If I'm going to receive any persecution, it's because of my stance on scripture, not because I'm a, a mean person or I'm a rude person. It's because of my, that's why I said, as long as it depends on me, strive to be at peace with all people. Abraham was a peacemaker. That's how you activate the blessing of God. You, the Bible says, he that sows in strife will reap destruction. So you're not going to reap Abraham's blessing, sowing strife. You're going to reap Abraham's blessing. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God and heirs of God. By Christ Jesus. And number five, and I finish with this. Abraham moved quickly. This is the most important point out of all the points that I just talked about. The number five way to activate Abraham's blessing in your life is to move quickly. The Bible says Abraham heard from God. Depart from your father's house, from your, your relatives, into the land that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to bless you there. And I'm going to make you a great blessing. The Bible doesn't say in Genesis 12, 3, or 12.4, and Abraham contemplated whether he should go or not. And he went and discussed with one of his counselors. And he talked, to, talked it over with his father and with his wife. And uh, he just tried to just get his mind wrapped around the idea of leaving the land that he had grown up in. He didn't do that. The Bible says in Genesis 12.4, and Abraham departed the very next morning, rising early in the morning. God says, Abraham... I want you to take that son that you love so much, Isaac. You know the one that you just believed me for for the last 26 years to have? Yeah, 
So I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him on the mountain that I'm going to show you to sacrifice him on. And Abraham went and discussed with Sarah, you know, I just feel the Lord's telling me to, to do this and I feel strongly impressed. I know it's God's voice. I know it beyond anything that this is the clear voice of God. But um, Sarah, what are your thoughts on it? If God told you to do it, what business does anyone else have in injecting their thoughts and opinions in it? Most of the time, most of the time, people are going to actually back you out of doing what God told you to do. People are going to discourage you in doing what God's told you to do. They're going to start talking about horror stories and what they've heard others trying and attempting to do what God's telling you to do, the very thing he's wanting you to do. And they'll bring up horror stories. Most of the time, you have to understand this, not everybody is for your increase. Not everybody wants you to grow. Unfortunately, even in Christians, there are a lot of people that genuinely do not want you to advance, especially in your own family. Because they've gotten to a certain level and now you want to take steps that they've never taken to hit levels that they've never obtained or have attained to. And they, so they want to pull you back down. No, 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 no. If we've not had it, you can't have it either. I'm not saying you shouldn't get around people who have what you have and just learn from them how they got there. If the Lord told you to build an evangelistic ministry, get around people that have done it and pick their brains but don't get around people who've not done it or family members and just try and, you know, get their opinion on the matter. You know, Paul, Galatians 1 says, when the Lord who separated me from my mother's womb revealed his son in me and called me to be a preacher of the gospel. He says this in Galatians 1. Paul said this. I didn't confer with flesh and blood. I didn't confer immediately with flesh and blood. Neither did I even go up to the apostles who were before me at Jerusalem. But I went into the desert of Arabia. And I stayed there for three years. So he didn't, he didn't go and find Gamaliel or other Pharisees or other people that he knew were... He didn't even go to Ananias who had laid hands on him to receive his sight and be filled with the Spirit and say, hey, what do you think about this? You know, I, I feel like I'm called to preach the gospel. He didn't do that. The Bible says straightway he began to preach at Damascus that Jesus was the Christ. He immediately got to work and he preached. You don't move by the opinions of others. And you don't get moved by the opinions of others. Other people's opinions of you should not determine your joy level, your peace level, or your decision-making processes. Be determined to move with God no matter the, the cost. De be determined to move with God, in step with God, no matter if anybody agrees with you or not. Lester Sumrall, his own father, when he said I was called to preach, he told his father, his father said, no, you're not going to be a preacher. There's no money in it. You've been trained up in a trade. You're going to do that. Lester Sumrall had to come in one year and out the other, and he started preaching two weeks later. And he, he never stopped since. He got on the road, and he never went back home. He just preached. He wasn't moved by his father's opinions about what preachers are and who preacher, what preachers do. You look at anyone great. And they all started like that. Or Roberts was a stammer. He couldn't speak properly. He stuttered like crazy. Nobody thought he'd be a preacher. And yet God touched his tongue and he became one of the greatest preachers. Billy Graham, when he first started preaching... Uh, he, 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 he gave an invitation to come to the, to the Lord and nobody came forward. 
And people started to tell him, maybe this is not your profession. Maybe you should try something else. Imagine if Billy Graham had quit, but he had a conviction. God was bringing him somewhere. And he continued, and he won over almost 200 million people to the Lord. Craig Groeschel, the founder of Life Church, who also is responsible for that Bible app that you use, Version. He's the founder of it. A great man of God. He preached his first couple of sermons in the church, and the board of the church told him, and an older lady in the church came up to him after the service, and they all told him, maybe, just maybe, you're called to the administrative part of the ministry. Maybe you're not, I don't think you're set out to preach. Pretty much, you, you're not called to be a preacher. He had gone through seminary, he had done all his degrees and stuff, but he stunk. And so he said, you're not, we, we don't believe that you're called to do this. There, there's no skill set that you've dis- demonstrated that would show or indicate at any level that you're called to preach. So maybe you're called to do the administrative part of the ministry. Imagine if Craig Rochelle had bought that garbage. We wouldn't have his phenomenal addition that he's brought to the body of Christ, not only in the version app, but his leadership qualities. So Abraham moved quickly and he wasn't moved by what others thought about him. To obey is better than sacrifice. David said, I did not delay. I made haste in obeying your commandments. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And you can actually delay your obedience to the point where you miss God. That can happen. You can miss God. You can miss out on what God wanted to do. Whenever a command comes to get something done, my experience and many great men of God have said the same thing. There's always this excitement to do it. There's always this wind that comes behind you, this energy to get it done. If you wait too long, that feeling's gonna go away and more often than not, you never end up getting it done. And there's gonna be people you're gonna have to trim out of your life. That are the Debbie Downers and the naysayers. I heard someone say it this way. If you want to walk, you walk with many. You want to run in life, you'll run with few. But you want to fly in life, you fly alone. You fly alone. Eagles don't have, there's not a, a horde of eagles or whatever they're called. A multitude of eagles flying. You always just see one eagle circling. You see a lot of pigeons and a lot of common birds flying together. Maybe Canadian goose. But when it comes to an eagle, which the Bible says you're to soar up on wings like eagles and you'll run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. When it comes to eagles, they're alone. They fly and soar high alone. Because if the higher you go, you're going to realize the less people are going to come with you in life. The further you go in God and the more uh, extreme you are in your obedience to Christ's commands, the less, the less people you're going to walk with in life. You have very few friends as you go on. That's not to say, like I said, you're, you're some annoying person and no one wants to be friends with you. It's just not everyone sees eye to eye with you. And so you find people that do, that encourage you and stem you, that keep you steered on. And I, I love it. You know, what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 36, it says what you have need now is of, is of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So point number five, what I said before, is delayed, unhindered obedience. Moving quickly with God is like the greatest trigger for God's obedience. Hebrews 10, 36 says, when you have done the will of God, then you will receive the promise. 
Then you'll receive the... So the promise doesn't come before you do the will of God. Genesis 22, I started off by saying before, God told Abraham, sacrifice Isaac. He went, he was about to do it. And the Lord said, don't touch him. Now I know that you fear me. And in blessing, I'll bless you and multiply and I'll multiply you. And be by myself, I have sworn. When you obey God, there's no shortcut to the blessing of God that goes around obedience. There's no way to get around this trigger. To obey is better than sacrifice. No matter what you sacrifice, no matter what you give, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you fast, if obedience and undelayed and quick moving obedience is not in place, all of this will be fairy tale for you. Obedience triggers the miraculous and the blessing of God, which Proverbs 10.22 says, maketh a man rich and adds no sorrow to it. So the blessing I'm talking about today is a blessing that has no sorrow to it. The blessing of God erases the sorrows of men. Does the blessing of God have a material part to it? Yes. Does the blessing of God have peace, joy, and all that? Yes. Because people say, well, you know, you're making it sound like the blessing's all material and possession and stuff. Well, then, you know, there's wicked people that have a lot of money and a lot of things. Yeah, but go and look at their lives. They're a mess. There's sorrow that fills their heart. Can't keep a marriage. Children don't want anything to do with them. I'm talking about the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and there's no sorrow to it. No sorrow. Abraham. I mean, I can't, I can't understand people that hate the fact that God wants to bless people with things. And it's amazing because everybody that hates that all write their comments on a $1,400 MacBook or a $1,300 iPhone. Or they're watching the broadcast on a $1,200 flat screen TV. I, he says that people, God wants to bless people. Pretty hypocritical. Have you taken a vow of poverty? Then no, if you haven't, then quit speaking. Make it sound like prosperity is the, the love of money is evil. The love of money is evil. Having money is not evil. Because if it is, then sell everything. Go live in the Himalayans somewhere. And get a goat and milk it. And have your own harvest field and, and, and self-sustaining farm fields and, and live there. Off the grid. As Don Rickles used to say, go buy a horse and live in the mountains and don't bother anybody. If that's what you think. Take a monk's vow of poverty. Eat grain for the rest of your life. No, like people are brain dead when they think that way. You don't like prosperity, you'll hate reading Abraham's life. I mean, what do they do when they read of Abraham's life? I hate that. They read of David's wealth, where he gave in one offering, $5 billion, today's uh, currency. What do they do when they read that? Oh, that David was such a sinner. When God honored him for his over and above giving. What do you do about Solomon? God, I need wisdom. Hey, Solomon, I'm not only going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you wealth beyond anybody's ever imagined. So much so that when the queen of Sheba came, she fainted. The Bible says her spirit left her. And when she came to, she said, listen, I've heard of this by the hearing of my ear. And I thought it was false. But now that my eyes have seen it, the half hasn't even been told. What do you do when you read Solomon? 
You just rip it out of your Bible? I hate that. Shh. Hate it. If that happens to you when you read the Bible, you can know there's a demon at work there. What do you do when Jesus broke the bread and fed 5,000 people to where they were more than satisfied? The Bible says they ate as much as they wanted and then there were baskets left over of fragments that were men. He gave overflow. He didn't just give, hey, hey, everyone, just enough. Hey, hey, Raphael over there, you've, you've had too many. I said one piece. No, he, he, multi, he was, there was leftovers. He's the God of overflow, El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. My God's gonna supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. He's not rationing. He said, all the silver, all the gold belongs to me. There's too many Christians that are, are, have been taught this false doctrine. Well, that's the prosperity gospel. We don't believe in prosperity gospel. The gospel, first of all, the gospel itself is prosperity because you were dead in sin and now you're alive. To me, that's prosperity. But furthermore, it reestablishes our connection to God where he now is my father and my provider. And I have covenant with him. And he said, I've made a covenant with you. A covenant to give you power to create wealth. So the gospel is not about money. It's about our salvation and redemption and connection, our covenant with God. But in that, because of our reestablished connection to God, we have access to kingdom prosperity. Whether God adds a dollar to my life or not till I die or till, I go, till the rapture happens, I'm still going to serve him because the gospel did for me what nothing, no money, no dollars, no people. I was dead in sin. I was stricken by OCD. I was the devil's rug for him to walk on and march on. And nothing good dwelt in me. And he cleansed me and he purged me. And Jesus Christ shed his blood for me that I might receive of his rich goodness. Be raised up together with him. Put on Christ. Be saved. Be accounted as a, a member of the family of God and have my citizenship in heaven. But I'm not going to have some stupid religious mind that says, that's enough for me. No. Colossians says, don't let anyone cheat you of your reward. By false humility. Instead, do like Jacob did. I'm not going to... Jacob was already blessed because of believing Abraham. He was the seed of Abraham. But he wrestled with God and he said, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not letting you go. I'm not going to have some cheap, falsely humble lifestyle. How many of you know if like, whether God blesses me or not. I'm, no, God's, God has blessed me. And I'm going to take everything the blood of Jesus died for me to, was shed for me to obtain, I'm going to have. I'm not going to let any devil or religious mindset cheat me of my reward. That's five things that activate the blessing of Abraham. I hope today helped you. If you haven't yet, share the broadcast. It's going to help others. They can watch the replay. If you're watching now and you've never given your life to Jesus, the Bible says only those who belong to Christ are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if you don't belong to Christ, if you're not saved, the Bible says it's easy to, be, to become saved. It's not hard. 
Bible says, don't look, in, don't look up into heaven as if who's going to bring Christ back down or don't look to the abyss, who's going to raise Christ up. Don't try and loop through, uh, jump through loops and hoops to get saved. It's a very simple process. Admit you're a sinner, believe in the gospel, and then confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and commit your life to him. As many as believed in Christ, to them gave you power to become children of God. We're not automatically children of God. You're not born a child of God. You have to be born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So wherever you're watching, if you've never been born again, if you don't have absolute certainty that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that if the rapture of the church would happen right now, you'd be caught up. Then you need to make, if you're not absolutely certain, then you need to make it certain right now. You need to be confident in this. You need to pray this prayer with me. Say this, Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Where I was weak, make me strong. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that I'm a new creation. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. My life will never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go to my website, salvationnow.ca. The link that's there is I just got saved. Fill it out. Get that information to me. I want to I hear from you. And there's a link at the bottom of the page to a YouTube video that I made specifically for you. Four basic things I tell every new Christian. Four things you have to do if you're going to guarantee success. And uh, watch it. Get fed. Write some notes down. And it's going to bless you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.